Water, Water Everywhere, a podcast where we will unravel some of the cultural, societal and economic challenges facing every precious drop. Plastic pollution, microplastics in the drinking water, micro campaigns about straws, sea creatures entangled on social media. Awareness about plastic pollution has gained enormous traction in a very short space of time. Yet will all this talk and infographics result in real change? This is not the first time that the public has had a backlash against plastic. I'm Sophie Edmonds, CEO of the WaterSmart Foundation, and I'm here today with Patrick DeButler of History of the World Today podcast to give us some historical context. Hello, Patrick. Hello, Sophie. Well, listen, thank you for having me on uh, the first podcast. And as a historian, I've looked at a lot of past environmental movements um, to do with pollution, including two of the most famous ones, um, the one on acid rain and the one on CFCs, which were both incredibly successful. But how do you think that uh, the plastic pollution uh, campaign is going currently? Fantastically well, from an awareness perspective. I've been working in this space since 2014, and I used to need to explain the issues around plastic pollution. Now David Attenborough and many incredible others have done that for me. Although some legislation has passed and there have been some systems change, we still have a lot of work to do with implementation, and plastic is still very ingrained in our everyday lives. But 50 years ago, there was an awareness about plastic pollution too. However, we are where we are today, so changes weren't made then. Patrick, can you tell us a little bit about the rise in plastic use in the mid-20th century? Well, absolutely. I mean, uh, we have to remember that plastic was never this ubiquitous. Um, It took until about the middle of the 20th century for plastic to really be used all throughout society. And the main reason for this was World War II, of course, when uh, the Allies um, in particular needed to use a cheap but very solid Um, material, and that was plastic, which was used in all sorts of uh, different ways, from military technology to civilian use. And by the end of the war, plastic had really found its way into into society and into being used in everything, from bottles um, to car pieces to everything else. And that's very much what's led to the rise in the use of plastic that we see today. Yes, and so the use of plastic also means rubbish. In the US, prior to 1950, reusable packaging such as glass bottles had a nearly 96% return rate. By the 70s, the rate for all container returns had dropped below 5%. So because plastic is so great as a substance and it's so disposable, it means that there's, there was previously unimaginable number of items being dumped into landfills. Just to comment on systems changes and how this is applicable today, having a 96% return rate for packaging is completely amazing and something to work towards with bottle return schemes and closely recycling, having milk delivered and glass bottles picked up is a perfect example of this. And that was the norm pre-1950. But by the 1970s, so there was 90% more waste and than there was previously. This is a big change in living memory. So... Understandably, there was a backlash against the disposable culture and plastic in particular. In 1969, the New York Times reported that an avalanche of waste and waste disposal problems is building up around the nation's major cities in an impending emergency that may parallel the existing crisis in air and water. So 
the sort of language that's used there, it, it reminds me a bit about of the language that's being used by activists today, that we're facing a climate emergency. But tell us, Patrick, how do politicians respond to this public backlash? Well, I mean, there's a particularly interesting example, which is in the late 1960s and early 1970s, Richard Nixon became president. Now, at the time, he was thought of as being a very conservative right-wing president. But in fact, Nixon created the Environmental Protection Agency, which is still America's leading uh, regulatory agency for pollution. And he also discussed uh, in speeches quite often how plastic was a was an ugly material how plastic littering was you know destroying uh, quite a few aspects of, of society absolutely and in 1971 New York City instituted a tax on plastic bottles Congress banned all non-returnable containers in 73 and the state of Hawaii banned plastic bottles entirely in 77 so that's an incredible amount of change and if things had continued on this trajectory, maybe we'd be at a very different place today. Industry fought against proposed legislation. And the plastic bottle tax was struck down by the Supreme Court the same year it was levied. And this was because there was a lawsuit. Uh, the Society for the Plastics Industry alleged there was unfair treatment. Hawaii's plastic bottle ban was also struck down. In 1979, there was a similar lawsuit from a drinks company. So lobbyists said it was would hurt manufacturing jobs, that it was unfair on industry. There was an alliance that formed with oil and chemical companies, drinks, packaging and uh, manufacturers who had a strategy to diffuse any anti-plastic sentiment. Well, absolutely. I mean, this is something that you saw quite often um, in the 20th century and, and today, of course, absolutely companies banding together with a monopoly over a market and protecting it by creating campaigns, organizations which benefited them, in fact, and which led to corporate lobbying, which, of course, has led to this difficulty in removing plastics from society. It's something we've even seen recently in the UK with Theresa May's proposed legislation on reducing plastic had a lot of backlash from businesses uh, who are desperately trying to pr protect this market for plastic. Yes, and, and what was really interesting about this strategy was to shift the responsibility for litter and waste away from the companies themselves and to consumers. So rather than blaming companies which have created the packaging and made a lot of money doing that, the, the argument was that individuals are responsible for the waste. And this is also really interesting when we look at today and the, the shifting conversation towards the circular economy, because the circular economy is that the company or a corporation needs to take care of the product life cycle and think about what's going to happen to that product at the end of its life at the beginning design thinking make that part of the process here we've got to a place where corporations were benefiting from plastic and packaging and all of the potential profits which could come from that by being able to store things ship things and of course consumers benefit as well but were consumers really to blame so we, you were discussing uh, before we got on the show about how, how the companies did this and you came up with a really interesting uh, fact, which I didn't know that much about, which was the Keep America Beautiful campaign. 
Yes, so nonprofits such as Keep America Beautiful, KAB, were funded by companies which were beverage companies, Dow Chemical, Mobile. So they had hundreds and hundreds of adverts along these lines. People start pollution, people can stop it. Local civic and community groups would organize cleanups and address what it called the national disgrace of litter. Framing litter as a personal failing was really, really successful. In 1988, the year global plastic production pulled even with steel, Margaret Thatcher was photographed picking up litter in St. James's Park and saying this is not the fault of the government, it's the fault of people who knowingly throw it. She didn't ever say this is the fault of the manufacturers leading to the plastic in the first place. See, it's interesting that you use the um, example of Margaret Thatcher because, you know, she's one of the prime examples of a government that was very much pro-business and changed a great deal and loosened a great deal of the regulation from the late 1970s onwards and which showed this interplay between governments and business and the private sector and which, you know, led to a lot of this rise in pollution as a side effect. I find this campaign such a fascinating example of the intersection of business, of individuals, of governments, and how history is also not linear, because we can come to this point and then go back for 50 years and come back to this point. But I'm really hoping that what happened in 1970 doesn't happen again today with corporations banding together. I love business and I'm a strong believer that ethical businesses, sustainable businesses can really help make positive changes. Well, I, I think, you know, that's the whole discussion that's going on is is whether, as we said in the beginning, campaigns which were brought together at an international level, like the ones against acid rain and CFCs, and were hugely successful. I mean, we managed to stop acid rain and to fix the hole in the ozone layer from them. And I think we have to see whether in today's political world, whether governments still have enough power and strength to get together and cooperate to solve these problems. It requires individuals to make different choices when they're buying things. At home, I'm eradicating plastic from life as much as possible. Of course, I still use plastic, but where I can, I've cut it out. And this is really great because it makes me think about it all the time. And it also makes me choose companies and products which don't use plastic. So that's supporting businesses who are trying to do the right thing for the planet. So it requires individual involvement absolutely we need systems change and in order for that to happen individuals need to influence government and corporations especially ethical corporations which are supported by individuals and supported by governments can make these big system changes too i'm really enthusiastic we've been there before let's not do it again that we can make really positive changes If you're interested in this topic, there's a fantastic long-form article in The Guardian. If you Google history of plastic, it should come up. I'm Sophie Edmonds. This is Water Water Everywhere. You can follow us on social media, on Instagram, Watersmart Foundation WSF. We're on LinkedIn. Or come to our website, watersmartfoundation.com. Always really happy to hear from you. Thank you.